appreciate our praise team. I know I do. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for using your gifts for the Lord. And I appreciate all the music department here at Porterfield and everybody that's using their, their gifts and talents to strengthen the church and help other people to know about Jesus. And in fact, today we're going to learn about two lesser known individuals in the Bible um, who teach us a lot about what it means to follow Jesus, just kind of like with your everyday life and business, but then also your involvement in the church. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila, and though they're only mentioned seven times in four different places in the New Testament, there's really a lot that we can glean from the clues that are left there. When you begin to study the book of Acts, which is an historical account that Luke, who was a physician and also a historian, he wanted to document uh, how the gospel spread uh, during that early century there in, in the uh, across the Roman Empire, but also has, has come down and, and affected all of us today. As he was documenting that, we see in Acts chapter 18 where they are first mentioned. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or your Bible apps, Acts 18 is where we're going to start out. But then they're also mentioned in some letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, and when you understand the timing of where Paul was and when he wrote those letters, it's really kind of cool. That's why I love doing this Bible study on this couple because uh, it's, it's kind of like being a detective. And you can piece together the times and the places that they were and what they were doing just based on these few brief mentions in the Bible. The first thing that you'll notice, anytime they are mentioned in the New Testament scriptures, they're always mentioned together, Priscilla and Aquila. They're never mentioned apart. Uh, they were a, a, a married couple. And the interesting thing, too, is in, in the culture of the day, remember at that time, um, it, was, it was very uh, male-dominated. And so it was really unusual. Oftentimes when you were doing writing about a married couple or talking about them, it would be the husband that would be mentioned first and then the wife. And yet we see in scriptures quite often Priscilla, the wife, is mentioned first. And I, I'll come back to that in a minute because I believe there's a reason for it, but they were both really important. And guys, I got to say this to you because in our culture today, it seems like a lot of times us guys feel like, well, we'll just step back and, and let the ladies lead and do whatever. And God really intends us to work together as a team. So I do want to say that, that, that coming to church and be involved in the Lord's work is not just for women, it's for men, it's for all ages. And in fact, that's one of the things that I love about Porterfield. We saw it up here on the praise team. Uh, men and women, we see it not only in our praise team and our music department, but our production department, uh, the many ministries in the life of this church. There is a place for you in ministry, and that's one of the things that we're going to see today. So Aquila was a Jewish man who uh, came from the area of Pontus, and I've got a map there. We put it up on the screen. It's in uh, the northern part of uh, Asia there, just below uh, the Black Sea. And the Bible doesn't tell us where Priscilla came from, but what we do know is that they were living in Rome at the time when uh, this is written about in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. And they were tent makers, so they uh, had a very lucrative business. Think about it, you're in Rome, Italy, very high traffic area, always has been, great marketplace, people traveling all over the world, and tents were something that were in high demand back then for all the travelers. Um, so they had a really good business there. Unfortunately, in AD 49, the Roman Emperor Claudius 
uh, decided that he was tired of dealing with the Jewish people who were living there in Rome. We don't know all the reasons why, but he decided that uh, he was going to cancel them. You know, we, we hear that phrase a lot today in our culture, cancel culture. And if you're not aware, I know you're aware of it, I'm sure you've heard of it, but if you're not sure exactly what that means, it's basically this idea in the culture that if there is a message that you're hearing that you don't like or you don't think is correct or the right way, this is basically what you're doing. La, 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 I don't want to hear you. Get away from me. I don't, just get out, get out. I'm canceling you. I don't want to hear from you. And the sad thing is we're seeing this on many college campuses today. The places where originally as they were formed was to educate people. It was to have freedom of thought and expression of ideas so that there could be a free exchange of ideas and you could actually decide which were the superior ideas. But what we're seeing on many college campuses today, if a speaker comes in and doesn't fit a certain narrative, la, 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 we don't want to hear you, canceled, we're canceling your engagement, and they're not allowed to speak on those campuses. So what we're finding in our culture today is in many different settings, there is not a free flow of ideas and actually allowing ideas and truth to come out, but only certain narratives that those in power or what is popular at the time, those narratives are allowed to be advanced and anything that opposes them is shut down. The only reason I'm going into this is I want you to see the relevance of the scripture. Cancel culture is nothing new. It has existed from basically the beginning of time and certainly through Western civilization and the development of societies. And so this Roman emperor, Claudius, who was in power, decided whatever the problem was, these Jewish people, he didn't like their ethnicity or their message or their beliefs, and though it was very unfair, he said, get out. You are no longer to be in Rome. So now here is Priscilla and Aquila who were Jews and of no fault of their own, they weren't troublemakers, they were tent makers. They just wanted to, to have a job and, and, and make some money and, and benefit society. But now they're being forced to leave Rome, Italy. So they needed to travel to a place that would be far enough away that they could be safe and not under that type of persecution, but they still needed to be in a good marketplace, a city where there would be a lot of traffic. So they decided to move to Corinth, the city of Corinth in Greece. And again, you'll see a, a map on the screen. I don't know if that's the exact route they took. I just kind of drew that out as a likely route because again, common sense, you're gonna try, try to take the shortest route, so probably by land and by sea. And they made their way down to the city of Corinth. It's about 620 miles approximately uh, in a straight line from Rome. It would be similar to today if you were gonna travel from New York City to Myrtle Beach, about that same kind of distance. Although of course their travel was more difficult. Um, they couldn't just drive there. Um, but uh, if we would go to Myrtle Beach today, you got a couple options. You could go by sea, take the ocean and go down the coast or travel by land. Anyway, the point is this, and this is the first thing that I want us to understand. Because while they ended up in Corinth, though they felt like they were being treated very unfair and it was not really their initial first choice to be there, they just learned to adapt to what they were facing, God was working in the midst of that. And he was actually positioning them and preparing them for something he wanted to do to help them, but something he wanted them to do for his kingdom that they weren't even aware of yet because there was this guy who was well-known in the scriptures. He was the Apostle Paul. 
and he intentionally and purposely traveled from city to city to tell people about Jesus. And what would happen would be when he would come into a city, he would go to the synagogue because he was a Jewish man and he wanted to speak to the Jewish people and they met on the Sabbath in the synagogues. So he would go there and he would listen and part of their practice of their worship was if they had a guest come in who was a very learned person, they would give them the opportunity to speak and share. And so as he would have those opportunities, he would begin to talk about Jesus as Messiah. He would tell them, you know, we've been looking for Messiah for, for centuries, and I'm here to tell you Messiah has come. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And I, I have seen the effects of his church and his followers, and he did miracles, and he died on the cross. He was crucified. He was canceled, or at least they tried to, but they couldn't. He rose from the dead three days later. And he's shown himself alive. So Paul was excited in telling them the truth. And there were many people, these Jewish people in these synagogues, that said, this is amazing. This is what we've been waiting for. And they believed. But there were others, just like there would be today, that said, I don't know about that, Paul. And their hearts got hard. And they said, we don't believe you. And, and you're just causing trouble. Get out. And so they would have a lot of rumors going around about Paul, falsely accuse him. A lot of times he would get arrested, end up in jail just because he was trying to tell the truth, share his faith. Um, and sometimes he would just be forced out of town. So here's this Paul now who's traveling from city to city. And in his travels, he ends up in the city of Corinth, which is exactly where God had placed Priscilla and Aquila now because of their unfair fair treatment. And so here's the first thing that we learn from Priscilla and Aquila, but it's a thing for us today, is this truth. God uses hardship and timing to put us in a position to be more effective as followers of Jesus. You see, if you start following Jesus, it does, absolutely does not mean everything's gonna go well for you. In fact, a lot of times things will get more difficult. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I mean, after all, I've given my life to you and, I'm, and I wanna learn more about you. And now it seems like life is getting more difficult. God is allowing these things because he wants to shape you and help you to grow. And he's positioning you where you can be more effective. Here's the question I have for you today. And I want you to think about this. Are any of you going through a, a difficult time right now? A time that you feel is unfair? Um, maybe you were treated wrong or maybe you're going through a difficulty that was of your, not of your own doing and you feel like it's just so unjust and unfair. I want you to remember Priscilla and Aquila. It could just be that God is allowing that in your life and as you're adjusting to it, he is positioning you so that you can get help from people that you weren't even aware of yet. And he may be positioning you so you can help someone with what they're going through. That's exactly what we see here with Priscilla and Aquila. Let's, let's take a look at it in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Because you say, Mark, how, how, did you, how do you know all that? Well, you'll see right here in these scriptures. So this is talking about the Apostle Paul as he's traveling and sharing the good news of Jesus from city to city, and it picks up here in Acts 18.1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, 
trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We don't know exactly how Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, but I, I really could make a strong case, I believe, that it wasn't probably in the synagogue first that he met them. He could have because they were Jews and he was a Jew, and so maybe on the Sabbath they were worshiping together. And then they struck up a conversation and he realized, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're a tent maker, so am I. That could have happened. But just knowing what we know about Paul and how he loved to talk to people, not only on the Sabbath, but through the week about Jesus, I imagine that he arrived into the city of Corinth. And when he arrived in that town, he was just walking through the city like anybody would. You're trying to get acquainted with what's there, what shops are there and businesses and so on and so forth. He's walking through and then he sees in the marketplace a, a couple who have a sign up that they're tent makers and they've rented a space there in the marketplace and him being a tent maker, he's like, oh, there's somebody who has the same uh, career that I've got. I'm gonna go talk to them, see how, how their business is doing. So I imagine he probably went to them, struck up a conversation, as I said. He, he said, hey, I'm a tent maker too. How's things going for y'all? And then as they talked, he realized, oh, you're Jewish people and and you were kicked out of Rome, and then he told them, well, you know, I'm going around telling people about Jesus. And here's the next thing that happened. Whatever, however that went down, here's another thing we see about Priscilla and Aquila. They had the gift of hospitality. And this is why I believe that Priscilla's name was listed first a lot. I could be wrong, obviously, but just the way she is referred to I would say that Priscilla probably was the one of the couple that was always saying, you know, honey, we ought to have so-and-so over for dinner, you know, and talk to them. And, and so they would invite people into their home. So certainly when Paul came, she might have said, hey, Aquila, let's go ahead and give Paul a place to stay. I mean, he's new in town and he doesn't know a lot of people. And so she used the gift of hospitality. And we're going to see this in some other passages of Scripture and because of her welcoming per personality and how warm she was, it just was natural for everybody to say, oh, Priscilla and Aquila, let's go to their place or let's talk about them. Now again, Aquila was very important and uh, he did his trade well, but they just formed a great partnership. So they began to stay together and Paul began to help them in their trade. So this is the second thing that we can learn from Priscilla and Aquila, and that is followers of Jesus need to be productive and to contribute to society in ways that um, help others with their everyday needs. Your job is important, and you need to see yourself as someone who absolutely, yes, you're working for a living, but it's also part of your witness for Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila definitely were very skilled and very good at their tent making business because we're going to see as we look at this a little more, wherever they went, they were successful and they made money. And I'll tell you how I know that, but we're not there yet. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Thessalonians about this principle of working for a living. There is no shame in working for a living. And as a follower of Jesus, if you are able, you should definitely have a job or a skill or something where you can support yourself and your family and not have to be dependent on other people to take care of you. It's part of our witness. In fact, there was a church in Thessalonica that probably had some problems with this because a couple of different times he addresses the people in the church there. In his letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, 
to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, when he's talking about outsiders, he's talking about people who are outside the church, outside the faith. And so Paul is saying, you all got to understand, as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that we're honoring Christ by the way that we live and work in our community. And we shouldn't be people who just go around begging and rely on everybody else to take care of us. We need to work for a living. That's a way of setting a good example. And when you work for a living, try to find something that's going to be a blessing to the people in your community, that's going to be helpful to them. And so that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Tent making was a valuable business and people needed tents and they were happy to learn that skill habit and be able to create that business so that as they made that money, they could be somewhat independent. They wouldn't be dependent on others, but also they could contribute then financially back into the work of Christ and his kingdom. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, we see the Apostle Paul talking about this principle again, about those of us as followers of Jesus, everyday followers, you may not be a missionary and evangelist, but you can be a good witness for Christ by being a good worker, a good business person. To me, a follower of Jesus should be the best employees. If you work at a factory, you should be the one that's working and trying to get there to work early so that right when the clock starts, you're there, you're ready to work, you work well, you listen to people, you're cooperative, you do your job well, you're there to be a blessing. Uh, or if you're a teacher in school, or if you're in the business world, whatever you do, you should be doing it with excellence because it's a way that you can get credibility with other people, and they will respect you for that. And then as you talk about your faith, hopefully, they'll be respectful of that as well because they've seen the evidence of what Christ is doing in your life by your work ethic. If you're a business owner, you should be the best business owner. If you're a boss, a supervisor, and you're a Christian, you should be the best boss anybody ever worked for. And what I'm saying is you don't have to be a slave driver. You can set high expectations and communicate well, but if you're a business owner or a supervisor, you should be the type of supervisor that say, man, you know, yeah, they're kind of tough on me at times, but man, I love working for them, and I'd do whatever for them. That is the kind of witness that we need to be leaving for Christ. So 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13, listen to what Paul writes here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Listen to this now. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. This is the Apostle Paul, who traveled from city to city and gave his life to teaching others about Jesus. And he's saying, when we were there and we were sharing the gospel with you, we didn't sit back and ask you to support us while we told you about Jesus. We worked among you, and if we needed any food, we bought it off of you. you we didn't ask you for anything. You need to follow our example to, to not be dependent so much on other people. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Here, again, is a great example. As a follower of Jesus, we're not looking to be a burden. We're looking to be a blessing. And so we need to learn to take care of ourselves and be self-sufficient and all those things and earn a living. 
if you're able, obviously if you're disabled, you've got an illness or something where you can't work, that's a whole other matter. We should be gracious and we should be giving to help people in need. That is also a, scripture, uh, a scriptural principle. But I'm dealing right now with what a lot of our attitudes ought to be as followers of Jesus. I just wonder if we might have more credibility if we'd stop posting some of the stuff we post on Facebook and we'd focus more on being diligent workers in our community and contributing to the community and focusing more on being a blessing for Jesus. I don't know. I just have a feeling that people might take us a little more seriously at times. So we should be good citizens, good workers. And this was the example that Paul set. Now, we know, based on Acts 18, Paul was a tent maker. So when he was writing to the city of Thessalonica, he was reminding them, and quite likely he was saying, remember when I was with you? I didn't just sit around and ask you to give me offerings and go out to eat with you and then me preach the gospel. While I was there, I worked day and night. We made tents. We sold them. We were in business. We took that money. We contributed back. We paid for our food. We were setting an example for you. If you don't get anything else out of this message today other than these first two points, then I believe God has helped me to, to do my job today. Again, your bad circumstances Instead of whining and complaining about it, and I'm guilty of that, I've done that. It's, it's our human nature. But what I'm saying is, in the midst of that, and all your pain you're feeling, pray and ask God to open your eyes to see how he might be positioning you to get help from someone or for you to help someone that you wouldn't have met had that circumstance not happened. And then secondly, as best as you can, keep working hard and diligent. And don't just, don't just sit back and expect to, to get a handout. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, Paul said, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Paul was telling the church, look, we had every right because we've given our lives to the gospel. We had every right to ask you for offerings and for us not to have to work, but we wanted to be an example to show you how you can be an everyday follower of Jesus in the culture and make a difference for good and win respect of people so that when you talk about Jesus, they'll respect that too. They won't just write it off. So today, those of us who are blessed to be in full-time ministry because we devote our full-time to that, we're very grateful that you give into the life of the church. And we do have a right for that. That's not my words. That's the words of the scripture and the apostle Paul. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for your financial support over the years, not just for me, but for our staff. Because for years, I was bivocational. I worked in the printing industry, and I wanted to do the best job I could for the print shop that I worked for. I was in a pre-press department's technical job, and I wanted to be the best employee I could be. And I was a witness there. I'm not saying that boastfully. I just wanted to live out my faith. And so there were people that I worked with that knew that I went to church and I was involved and that I was a believer in Christ. And quite frankly, sometimes they'd, they'd rib me. They'd, you know, kind of poke their little jokes at me, make fun of me. Um, that was fine. You know, I just let it roll off. Um, but I also made sure that I was um, just being consistent. And what I found is after working there for several years that some of those same people that made fun of me when they were going through a tough time, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, uh, Mark, um, you know, my family's going through a rough time right now and whether it was an illness or whatever, and they'd, they'd be like, um, would you just pray for me? <laughs> and I'd say, sure. And, in fact, and they weren't asking me like right at the moment, but I'd say, yeah, in fact, let's pray right now. I'll pray right now. Oh, oh, okay. And I would say a prayer for them right there. 
and again, I'm not saying this to boast, I'm saying it as an example. You could be a witness wherever you're at, on work or wherever, but you gotta be genuine about it. Because they also knew my flaws and my faults and stuff. But here's the thing, while I was bivocational, I was working on this job, and then I was serving in the church, and I found that after a while I really got conflicted because my, when I was at work I was finding more and more I just kept thinking about ministry and what God wanted me to do in the church, and I wasn't becoming as effective as I was at, at, on the job. And that was when God finally kind of pounded me on the head and said, Mark, you fought this long enough. Come on, surrender. I want you to, to you know, be willing to leave your work and go into full-time ministry. And I'm grateful for that. Because of your giving, not just to me, but for our other full-time staff and even our part-time staff, we are able now to devote our entire time through the week to focus on studying the Word. This message today that I'm bringing to you, this teaching, again, I'm just going to be open with you. I spent 20 hours, 20 hours this week, because I wanted to make sure that I was studying well, researching, being thorough, so that I could bring the best message today from the Word of God that would be applicable to your life and my life, because this matters. There's no way if I was working another job that I could have spent 20 hours on a lesson today on top of the other things in ministry that I did this week. So thank you, and I'm stressing this because the Apostle Paul said, we would have a right to do this, but we wanted to set an example. So now he goes on and he says, for even while we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, that you're not busy, but you're busy bodies. And social media has created such a dynamic, and I know I talk about this a lot, but it is so prevalent in our culture today, we've just gotten so used to it that we just kind of give ourselves over to it and say, oh, well, it's just the way it is. I guess I can't do anything about it. Oh, I gotta post that, that was a good thought. So what we need to do is if you are busy taking care of yourself and your family and working hard, maybe you're not gonna have as much time to sit around and flip on the phone and post your ideas and what you're upset about this and what you heard on the news that you don't like or what you heard over here about these people. You're being not busy, but you're being busy bodies. You're being like the people in Thessalonica who are just idle. They had a lot of free time, and they used it to tell everybody their opinion, and it was just stirring up a lot of trouble. And as a follower of Jesus, an everyday follower of Jesus, we need to be busy and take care of ourselves and our family and stop doing some of the stuff that we're doing. Again, the scripture is relevant to us today. They're not busy, but they're bare busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. When the Apostle Paul said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he wasn't saying, make it your ambition to never talk about Jesus. Because, you know, we just got to be quiet and keep that to ourselves. That was absolutely not what he said. When he said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he was saying, as you work hard and as you witness for Christ, make it your ambition to not be a troublemaker. Be tent makers, not troublemakers. Watch your mouth and work hard and set a good example. That's what it means to lead a quiet life, but yet to be vocal about Christ in a loving way. All right, let's move on. Acts 18, a few verses on down, 18 through 21. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. 
So now we see though Priscilla and Aquila had set up shop and a business in Corinth and they met Paul and he stayed with them and they worked together for, for a, a time, about maybe a year and a half or so, making tents together through the week, going to the synagogue, preaching, doing ministry. They had formed a partnership, not only with their ministry for Jesus, but they had formed a business partnership. And so now when Paul is going to Ephesus, he's feeling the Lord call him there Again, the scripture doesn't say this, but I think he probably had a conversation. He's like, you know, we've got a good thing going here, and I'm, I'm feeling called to go to Ephesus. Would you all want to go to Ephesus with me? And maybe we could start a business there in that city. You've got a business here, so would you be willing to go with me to Ephesus? And you all are doing a great job of helping me in ministry and sharing the gospel. I'd love to have you go with me. And so he invited them on a short-term mission trip. <laughs> And they decided to travel and to go with him. They weren't sure how long they were going to be in Ephesus, but they went. So anyway, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in Centuria, which was not real far from Corinth, because of a vow he had taken. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So now Priscilla and Aquila have set up shop in this business of tent making in Ephesus. And they're like, you know what? We're prospering here. We're doing pretty well. God's taking care of us. We're able to maintain our business and make tents. It's still a busy city. Let's stay here and let's continue to support the church and the work of Christ. Here's the third thing we learn from them. We need in whatever we do, whatever job you do, or whether you feel like you are uh, someone important or you feel like you have hardly no value at all, you can do things to support the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. So we need to support the great commission of Jesus wherever we may live or work. The great commission of Jesus are the words that Jesus spoke that Priscilla and Aquila never heard personally from Jesus, but they heard from people like the Apostle Paul and I'm sure other followers who had heard Jesus speak these words and had recorded them just like you're hearing them right now. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 28, then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Priscilla and Aquila heard that teaching of Jesus, and they said, we agree with that. As followers of Jesus, no matter where we live, we need to make sure that we're contributing to the Great Commission and helping other people know about Jesus and come into a relationship with him and be identified with Christ through baptism, through water baptism. When Jesus said, go into all the world, literally there in the original text, it's, it's worded in such a way as like, as you go. Or in other words, no matter where you go. So it's not only a command to like, okay, get off your duff and, and get busy. But he's saying, whatever you do, wherever you go, if you go on vacation, uh, or if you're traveling to town, just wherever you go, look for opportunities that you can encourage someone in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now let's see what else we can learn as we go a little further down in Acts 18. Acts 18, 24 through 28. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
So here again, this is where Priscilla and Aquila still were at that time. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. There's a couple of different ways that we could interpret this. We could interpret it that Apollos had heard about Jesus and, and believed that Jesus was Messiah, but he had only basically been baptized under the ministry of John the Baptist, which we learn is a, is a baptism of repentance. I'll talk about that in a moment. So maybe he was already a follower of Jesus and he just wasn't teaching some things quite right. But I more likely think that this is how it was. Apollos was a Jewish man. He had lived his whole life hearing about Messiah, that they needed to be looking for Messiah coming. John came preaching the message saying, Repent, change your ways, Jewish people, nation of Israel, because God is about to send Messiah into the world. So you need to repent and change your ways. And John's baptism, what that was, is it was a baptism of repentance, or in other words, get ready to change your heart and be ready to receive what God's about to do through Messiah. That was John's baptism. I've said this before, but I want to remind you again. Water baptism was not something new to the Jewish people. It's something that they had done. It was part of their worship. If a Jewish person, this was before John the Baptist, wanted to recommit their life to God or start on a new trek, they would maybe fast and pray, and then they would go to a place called a mikvah. It was carved out in rock. It would be different places. But it was a place where they, after prayer and meditation, recommitment to God, they would get down in that mikvah and they would immerse themselves in the water. And it was a form of like, okay, I want a new birth again, a new start. And then they would come up out of the water. And so Jewish people practiced water baptism. What John the Baptist did that was new is he said, Repent, you all, because Messiah is coming, so get ready to change your heart. Repent means to stop the direction you're going, think about it, and be willing to turn and go a new direction. And that was the baptism of John the Baptist. And so quite likely, Apollos had heard that, believed it, and was teaching from the scriptures, hey, Messiah is coming, and Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's begun his ministry, and he's doing great things. And as he, as Apollos began to travel, he didn't hear the rest of the story. Because again, they didn't have news broadcasts. They didn't have CNN, and they didn't have their phone apps where they could know news instantly. So while Apollos was maybe out traveling, he didn't know what had been going on back in Jerusalem, and he was kind of behind the times. But Priscilla and Aquila knew because Paul had stayed with them and Paul had seen and heard and knew what was going on and what Jesus had spoken in his life. And so Paul had taught Priscilla and Aquila. So when they heard Apollo speaking this, this is where I want to come to this in verse 26 now. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When they heard him preach, they're like, man, this guy is really good. He understands the scriptures. He understands that Messiah is coming and that we need to get ready. He just hasn't heard that what, what Messiah actually did, that, that Jesus was crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story. He rose again, and now he's opened up salvation for not just Jewish people, but for Gentiles as well. It's by his grace. It's not by our works. Whatever that was, they had that discussion with Apollos, but they did it privately. They didn't go spread rumors around in the church after Apollos got done and say, I can't, can you believe that Apollos? And he came in and he taught that and blah, 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 blah. And here's how he, here's what he should have said. 
And they kind of had the preacher for lunch, but you know, not literally. But anyway, and, but they didn't do that. They invited Apollos to their home because they didn't want to embarrass him publicly or cause trouble. So it says here, when Apollos wanted to go to, or I'm sorry, let me back up. He began to speak boldly in synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Here's, right there's the key in where I believe Apollos was, was shown a more accurate picture of the gospel. It mentions specifically, he helped those who by grace believed. Grace is undeserved favor. Quite likely, up until this time, Apollos was the guy saying, you know, Messiah is coming. He's come into the world. You need to follow the Ten Commandments. You need to make sure that you're living your life right. You've got to follow the rules, check the boxes, and we need to honor God with our life. And that is true. We should honor God with our life. But what he was missing was the grace of God. And that by God's grace, that means undeserved favor. He offers forgiveness not only to Jewish people, but to Gentile people. And I think this was the part that Apollos hadn't fully gotten in his teaching. But after he listened to Priscilla and Aquila and what the Apostle Paul had taught them, it made sense to him, and then he began to preach that as well. And then in verse 28 it says, For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus is Messiah. Here's the fourth thing that we can learn from Priscilla and Aquila from all of that. They were truthful, they were tactful, and they were helpful. They weren't these big, well-known teachers in the church, but they knew the truth, and when they heard Apollos and saw his potential, they're like, you know, we really ought to invite him to our home, and let's make him feel welcome, and then let's, let's let him know what Paul told us and see what he thinks about it. So they were truthful, they spoke the truth in love, they were tactful, they handled it in the right way. They weren't arrogant about it or brash, they were humble, tactful, and their heart was, we want to help Apollos because he's got a lot of potential and we want to help the church. So that's what they did. So Paul had left Ephesus on his second missionary journey, he returned to the city approximately four years later on his third missionary travels, and from Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila were still there having their business, and helping the church. And Paul wanted to write back to the city of Corinth, to the believers there, where, they had first, where he had first met Priscilla and Aquila. And so we pick it up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. It says this, Paul writes, The churches in the province of Asia, which that's where Ephesus was and, and is, send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, or some translations say Prisca, because that was the more formal uh, name for Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. Hear that warmly there again. That was their hospitality. They were very welcoming. People liked them. They loved people and people loved them and they wanted to make a difference for Jesus. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord and so does the church that meets at their house. That's really important. We know from that one statement that the business that Priscilla and Aquila had in Ephesus was successful because they could afford a house. <laughs> they bought a house. They made good money. They had a lucrative business, and they wanted to share their blessings to help others. That's why it says, uh, or the, the fifth thing that we can learn from this is they used what God had blessed them with to help people connect to Christ 
and to each other. They used the skills they had to be a blessing for the cause of Christ. That's something you and I need to learn from. Whatever you do to make a living, to earn income, use it to help connect people to Christ and to help the message of the gospel spread. And in fact, they started a small group ministry in their home. They invited a few people to come to their house. They shared a meal with them. They talked about Christ. People were blessed and touched by it. And more and more people began to come to that little small group. And eventually it was basically, they became like church planners. And a church was started right out of their home, met in their home. And so we see that. And Paul is saying, Priscilla and Aquila, they're greeting you and the church that meets in their home. A couple of more things and we're going to finish this up. Here's the sixth thing that, they learned, that we learned from them, is they were willing to take risks to help the gospel be spread. They lived by faith, they took risks, they help others share the good news of Christ. Um, and so uh, Paul writes this, it's in Romans. Um, Romans chapter 16, verses three through five, he says this, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Here again, this couple who was just, they were business people, but they were willing to share what they had to help others come to know Jesus, and they took risks. Those risks might have been physical, but they might have just been financial. There have been times in, in my life and in our life, Julie and I, where we saw work that God was doing, and a lot of it has been here at Porterfield over the years as we've done building projects and different things over the years. And you know, we've encouraged people, hey, we appreciate you giving, but if you would, we really would love for you to pray about it and give extra, and so we'll have these building, you know, fundraising campaigns. And there have been times over our married life that we prayed about it, and it's like, wow, you know, we're, yeah, we tithe, but we really wanna help the church, so, here's an amount of money that over the next three years we're going to give. And sometimes it makes me swallow hard. But it's like, you know what? We're going to trust and we're going to risk because we, want to, we believe in what God is doing there. And I'm here to tell you on the other side of that, you can't outgive God. I mean, we didn't give to receive, but every time we have taken a risk by faith and given and risked even financial things, God has taken care of us. And so whatever this risk was that they took for Paul, Paul appreciated it. Now here's another thing, because Paul is writing this to the believers in Rome, so we know at this point, as Priscilla and Aquila had their business, they end up going back to Rome. So they are in Rome now when Paul writes this, because he says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Here again, wherever Priscilla and Aquila went, they were successful in their business. I've kind of joked about this in the first service. I think maybe they had the first tent franchise. You know, they, they started in Rome. They got kicked out of Rome. They went to Corinth. They started a business there. They left Corinth and they went to Ephesus. And they're like, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, we're, we've got business in all these cities. And then they ended up going back to Rome. And who's to say they might have trained other people maybe to be tent makers. They had a little franchise. So they just traveled around from those cities. But we see from these letters that they definitely traveled. They stayed in places for a few years, but they would move around. So again, though, the point is when they were back in Rome, they were inviting people to their home. And again, we know they had a good business because they could afford a home in Rome now. So the sixth thing is we need to learn. They lived by faith. They took risks to help others in sharing the gospel. And now finally, 15 years had passed approximately since the Apostle Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila. 
And now he is writing to one of his young protégés, Timothy, who is at the church in Ephesus. And lo and behold, Priscilla and Aquila are now back in Ephesus. And the way that we know this is when he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4.19 from prison in Rome, writing to Timothy who's in Ephesus, he says this, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. So the last thing today we can learn is that they stayed committed to Jesus wherever they went and they kept working together as a team. I'm not gonna rehearse all seven of those things. You can listen to this and fast forward it and catch those points again. But there is so much that we can learn from these two people who are lesser known. They're not as famous as Paul and Luke and all of those, but they had a huge impact for the gospel in the church. And who's to say one of these days, Pastor Mark might be writing about a couple in the church or a person in the church who's like, they were such a big help to me. And I could write those letters because there are many of you that have been a huge help to me, and not just to me, but so many other people. So follow these principles, and God will use you to be a blessing for his kingdom. Father, thank you for your word that we have written that we can study and, and learn about people in the Bible that a lot of people maybe haven't even heard of, but had such a profound effect on your kingdom work, and many people coming to know you. And I thank you, Lord, that each one of us, no matter what we do, we can be missionaries right in our own community by following the example of Priscilla and Aquila to work hard, to gain respect, to be a blessing to the community, and then to share the blessings that we have to help others come to know Christ, whether it's through our local church ministries or through other missionaries that travel. Thank you, Lord.